The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Elaine Shercliffe, so welcome to the Cutting to the Chase podcast. How excited are you to be here today? I am just so excited, Will. <laughs> well, I know you. So we, we know each other from the canon. I've, it's literally been about three years, like any day now, or maybe it's already been three years. But I, I joined the canon in August of 2017, I believe. So we, we know each other in some capacity for three years, writing together and podcasting and all that. So, so yeah, it's cool that you're here to kind of obviously talk about you and your career or, you know, what you've been doing in hockey, obviously. So thanks for taking some time today. Thanks. This is going to be like weird. Normally we are interviewing people together. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of weird to have the table turned. <laughs> yeah, the spotlight's all on you. So I've come with them some hard-hitting questions that we need to get into. Not really, but uh, I'm going to start pretty basic. Actually, I don't have anything too, uh, you know, too out of the ordinary, I would say. But first of all, kind of already kind of uh, briefly got into it. But how did you get started with the Canon and obviously covering the Cleveland Monsters? Um, so I got started with the Canon because I quit one site. And um, I was looking for a place to write because I had had already had credentials with the monsters and I couldn't obviously keep them if I didn't have a place to write. And so actually I uh, sat down with Tony Brown, who's the play-by-play guy um, for the monsters. He also does some other things for the team as well. And he gave me just like a list of places to go and check out. And he actually suggested coming and talking to people at SB Nation um, because they are a bigger platform. So I shot an email off to Mike, uh, who is our site manager at the time, um, because, I mean, for a while, like Jeff Little had been asking me, like, why don't I come write for them? And then Mike was like, yeah, write a few fan posts and then I'll decide we'll decide if like you're good to go. And it, it was like one fan post and he was like, okay, <laughs> you're on the team now. What was the fan post? Um, it was just about uh, the checkers versus the monsters game. That was all it was. It was in December and it was a really, it was actually like an overtime game and it was just awful. <laughs> it's not a good game. So <laughs> Did Cleveland win? No. <laughs> I'm like not 100% positive. I just remember it wasn't a very good game. Yeah, and my cousin's dog was like laying on top of me during the whole entire game. So, <laughs> so it was an experience. <laughs> it was an experience. So uh, it's interesting that you said that uh, Mike had you write a fan post because I just remember now, I just remember reaching out randomly and thinking, oh, it'd be cool to write for the Blue Jackets on SB Nation. Let me just write a, let me just email like the main person or whatever. And, uh, I did not have to write a fan post, but I probably did have to send him some other links or something that I had done in the past. So, but yeah, I didn't do the fan post. So that's interesting, but I know that was a little bit while ago too. So yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have any um, like recent game recaps for, since for the hockey writers, a lot of it was like features and I was Mm -hmm. asking to be like the monsters reporter, beat reporter. So that also includes game recaps. So I think he wanted to know, 
how I wrote about the game. Because this is actually one right. of the first places where I've ever really um, dove into just writing about the game. Even when I was with like the AAA, like it, that was like the first time they ever did like full on game recaps. So this is like a new, yeah. So with the canon, obviously you cover the monsters as like an actual like beat reporter. So when you went to Mike about writing for the canon, did you already kind of have that mindset that I'm going to cover this team or were you kind of not sure what your role would be? I went to him and I was like, hey, I think I might have CC'd Tony Brown on it, actually. I can't actually remember how that went down completely, but I was like, hey, I am a Monsters beat reporter. I need a new place to write. Um, this is what I want to do. And if you need help with jacket stuff, I'll help out if need be. That was... Pretty much how it went down. Gotcha. But it's primarily been the monsters since you've been there or with the cannon. At the cannon, yeah, it's been like 100. Well, I don't want to say 100% because sometimes I step in and do jacket stuff. 99% so like, to one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like 99.9% of the time. It's just all like you're going to do the recap tomorrow, right? For the uh, yeah. Jackets Lightning game. For game four. four. So, yeah. I swear to God, if it goes into overtime, I'm going to scream because. I the game recap I did for the Toronto series went into was that double that was that double overtime no it was just one overtime I can't remember my brain is like fried and then when I was live tweeting for our site it was that five overtime game and I thought my brain was going to explode I was like ready to throw in the towel after like the third overtime and then I kind of got another wind and then I just when I had to go to work the next day, I was like, I can't, I can't function at all. And the funny thing is, I kind of predicted at least four overtimes. I know, you're the freaking worst! <laughs> so, uh, so before the canon, you also wrote for the hockey writers. So how did you get into writing with them? Was that your first, like, I know you mentioned the AAA, was the hockey writers kind of the first uh, publication that you were writing for, or... Not the first, because I mean, I know you did like social media for the Triple Eight. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I'll kind of go through where I've written and then we'll get to the hockey writers. I guess you could go that way. Um, I, <laughs> I started at this Blackhawk site called Blackhawk Down Low. Um, and I would occasionally do like reviewing arenas that I've been to as like a fan guide for fans who wanted to travel. And then um, a few times the guys, Kelly and Andrew, had me step in and do recaps. And <laughs> there were so many times that I would, it was, I think it was 2011, maybe. 2000, it was the year after the Stanley Cup. So it was like 2010, 2011. And some of the games, they were just, like, giving half effort. So I'd be like, tonight you guys only get half a recap because they only put in half the effort. <laughs> and then um, it was like, I'm not going to break into the Blackhawks. It's hard to watch because there's so many um, Blackhawks blogs and sites. And I don't live there anymore. And um, I can't, just can't watch Blackhawks games whenever I want to. So I kind of went over to the Blue Jackets side and I went to my first Blue Jackets game on April 1st, 2011. And, um, like I loved it so much. It was so much fun. And the team, I sat right behind the bench, literally like 
right behind the bench. We almost got hit by a puck that like Patrick Kane shot at like a weird angle. Um, but I love the atmosphere and the fans were very inviting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move over into the Blue Jackets realm. And I, I didn't know where to write. I didn't know where to start. I didn't really know anyone in Columbus. I had, other than, like when I went down for that game, it was the second time I had ever been to Columbus in my life. So I didn't know anyone there really. Um, and I was like, how do I, how do I get noticed? How do I get people to come to my site? And so I created this site. And it, it was called Everybody Loves BJ's. <laughs> and so I think like my first or second article too was, it was against Detroit and the Jackets were on a lose streak. And they, it was like a first for Johansson. It, they broke their lose streak was the first one of the season and so my site is called like everybody loves bjs and then one of the first article is you always remember your first time oh my god <laughs> you put down a turn <laughs> <laughs> right and so um it always made me laugh because i would get comments from people that were like well i came here for the blowjob but i left and ended up staying like i left a jackets fan or like I ended up staying for the hockey and I was like this is so bad this is not who I am as an individual but a lot of people started to recognize me and uh people on <laughs> right <laughs> probably for all the wrong reasons but who knows um and then some other sites picked me up here and there like this one called crash the net which doesn't exist anymore and I would write about not just um not just the jackets, but I write about a lot of other NHL teams whenever I could. Um, personal stories. Mm -hmm. I did some interviews. Right. And then this all-female blog came on, like female site editor, female run blog came on called Face Off Violation. And so I did that. And um, while I was with the AAA too. So then I did that. And then I got picked up with the AAA Blue Jackets and did, you know, help them with their social media and some PR stuff, not a lot, but they really, because where they really needed help was getting the word out there on social media and also having some like game recaps here and there. It actually was beneficial because that was the year that the triple, the 2001s went to Quebec City and won the tournament. And then I moved to Oregon. <laughs> um, and when I came back, uh, there was an opening for the hockey writers to cover the monsters. And so I applied and I got it. Um, but then I ended up covering the Buffalo Buttes in their first year of existence for the NWHL. It was a lot mm. easier because I was working a retail job. Um, and going to Buffalo on a Sunday was, it was easy to ask off a Sunday um, instead of asking to be out at a certain time, like 76 games a season. Um, so I would turn and burn. I would leave Sunday morning and come back Sunday night after the game so that's three hours there and three hours back so yeah that's and then I did a little bit with the the monsters in the beginning of that 2016-17 season yeah like right after that Calder Cup right and I also worked at a, a newspaper for a little bit as a freelance covering high school football which is not hockey and very different in the terms of like there's no wi-fi <laughs> there's um 
the deadline is like hard stop midnight deadline, 1130. And every game I went to, they went to overtime or something happened and a player got injured and they had to, you know, the game went longer. We're like one game, all the lights on the field went out and they had to fix that. So the game went longer there. And none of these places had, you know, Wi-Fi at the school. There's no press box either. So I'm like sitting in the crowd for a lot of them. And like one student section I was sitting in and the kids were like, that's my brother. Like, this is about him. And like, that's my brother. Like just pointing them out and being like, that's my brother's best friend. He's an asshole. And I'm like, I can't write that. <laughs> um, and I can't tell you the amount of the amount of articles I wrote either in a McDonald's parking lot for the free Wi-Fi or one of the player's parents had me to their house and said, hey, listen, we see you stressing out because I would like call my mom and be like, what am I supposed to do? And at the time, like I didn't know where things were in Garrettsville or in Wyndham or any of these small towns because that's where I was being sent um, to cover these teams. So parents, their moms mostly would be like, the kids are all going to the dance. They're all hanging out. It'll be quiet. Come to our kitchen table. I'll make you some hot cocoa. And I was like, you guys are so wholesome. I love it. And I felt bad because the one player, it was the quarterback, and he lost the game. He straight up lost the game. And his mom was like, come write it at our house. And I'm like, you know that I'm going to say bad things about your son, right? <laughs> and she was like, well, as long as it's the truth, I'm not going to be mad. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's very different from covering hockey because most rinks have free Wi-Fi. Most rinks have seating, and if they don't, there's like at least a place for you to stand that's away from everyone. It's the same temperature all the time. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was definitely um, made me respect covering hockey in any arena. So I never complain now about like anything that's given to me because I'm like, I covered high school football, and most of it was like Division Five. <laughs> which is small town. They, they don't have all that fancy stuff. So you obviously have been writing or in the writing game for quite a while. So how did you know that you wanted to write and like kind of, you know, what kind of prompted that? Bob Green. He used to write about Michael Jordan. He like wrote all these books about him. He worked for the Tribune. I adored him as a child. And I think I was in the second grade and we had a substitute teacher who said and asked us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said, oh, you know, like an actress and a singer, and I want to be a sports journalist. And she laughed at me and said there was no way I would ever be a sports journalist. So <laughs> if anyone out there was a second grade substitute teacher at Washington Middle School in Lyons, Illinois, I want you to know that you are so wrong. <laughs> Yeah, take that, teacher. <laughs> right. So I, I just, I've always loved writing. Um, when I was in grade school, in the second grade, and I think it was the fourth grade, I won like best author for the whole entire school, which was like K through eight. So it was always something I've wanted to do a lot. Uh, so it's been like these past four years has been like the ultimate dream for me. That's awesome. So I was also curious to hear about some of your best moments and stories or, you know, anything that kind of comes to mind or pops out during your entire basically writing tenure to this point. Oh gosh. I think, okay. So one of my favorite things I've ever done 
And I'm, I, it bums me out because I, it's never seen the light of day. And I really, I guess I should eventually one day publish it. But in 2013, 2014, it might have been 2014, um, I got to have a phone interview with uh, TJ Oshie's dad about like his whole entire life, not TJ's, but like about Mr. Oshie's life. And it was like a three hour long conversation about his Alzheimer's, about, you know, like about living in North Dakota, about some of the people that TJ played with and how they played this role in Mr. Oshie's life and Mr. Oshie's family and about the doctors at the hospital in St. Louis that diagnosed him or not diagnosed him, but like worked with him through um, some of this Alzheimer's stuff. And it just was also just like about him leaving this, wanting to leave this legacy behind of things that he had done in Washington too with like roller hockey and hockey in general. So I'm really hoping that one day I have the opportunity to drop that again, um, or at least give it to, to TJ because I would love for him to at least have the transcript of what was said because it was such a really good conversation. Um, And then also uh, for me, there have been so many great highlights. I've been really lucky, Uh, you know, like the 2001s winning that Quebec City tournament was just so, I can't even describe it. Um, The Quebec City tournament is this peewee tournament in Quebec City. It's every year. Teams from all over the world come and play. It's kind of like the mini Olympics. (laughs) And we knew that the kids were good, but we didn't really know how good. Like the way they won it was just, it (laughs) it felt like I was at the Olympics and these kids put everything out there and their, their families took me in as like their own family and treated me with so much kindness. And um, it was like hands down, the most beautiful thing I've experienced while writing because that whole week that I was in Quebec City was just, um, I learned so much about myself and about the sport. That's where I learned that the plus minus is, um, it's very deceiving. Uh, One of the parents explained to me about how sometimes defenders turn over the puck and they will race to the bench and then the next defender steps on the other person scores the goal, and guess what? Minus. That person's plus minus goes down. The person on the bench stays the same. So there were like little things like that that I learned throughout the whole week. The coach sat down and would talk to me about things. Um, it, it was just a great experience. Um, and then obviously having coach um, John Madden be the coach of the Monsters, uh, I'd always loved watching him play from his days at Michigan um, to New Jersey and that was actually on my best friend's and mine's bucket list that we wanted to pick John Madden's brain just once about the sport of hockey and then I got to do it every single game for three seasons <laughs> so that was a big right right and he was a black well that's how so Bobby didn't so so Bobby didn't know who he was when he came to the Hawks and I was like, Bobby, 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 oh my God, you have to like, you have to watch him play. And so I went and I dug up all this film <laughs> from YouTube and, and like Reddit and all these other like <laughs> weird places online that would give your computer, like if you, when you download stuff, it like gives your computer virus. Cause this was like 20, 2010, like 20, 2009, you know? 
And I'm like, you just have to watch him play. Um, and I actually wrote Michigan and I asked them if they could send me some films from when, when Mads played at Michigan and no one responded. But that just goes to show like how serious I was. And Bobby fell in love with the way he played as well, just from watching those. And so when we made like a bucket list, I think after, after that Stanley Cup win, because I couldn't come in for the parade, uh, we made this just like this bucket list of places we wanted to go, things we wanted to do. Um, and pretty much everything on the list is done now, except for going to New Orleans. But Mads was, oh, and then also going somewhere else. But the last one before those two was picking Madden Rain about hockey. And I didn't think it would ever happen. Like, I didn't even think he was interested in being an assist, a, a head coach at the AHL level. So when I got that phone call, like, it was, and, and I was told that he was the head coach, I was like, what? <laughs> so it was, yeah, that's like one of my highlights from the Monsters for me. I was curious too, what are your goals? Like, what would you still like to be able to say you've done or... You know, what's next for Miss Elaine Shercliffe? Oh, gosh. That's actually really tough because I try not to make super big goals. You know, a lot of my goals are fairly small, but in my mind, they seem like big goals. Um, you know, being a Cleveland beat, sports beat reporter seemed like a very big goal. And then I got it and I was like, oh, crap, what do I do now? What do I strive for? I would love to make money doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that. Probably um, my biggest thing is I want to make money writing. I love my day job. I really do. I get to make a difference every day um, in people's lives, but it's emotionally draining (laughs) and the money is nice, (laughs) but I work 40 to 60 hours a week and then cover the team and also watch the Jackets games because I need to know where the monsters might fit up there or if a jacket comes down. So in, in my, my ultimate goal is to be able to have one job, <laughs> just one, um, and to make some money either. Like, I love writing, but I can write about things other than hockey. You know, I've worked for a softball team. I love baseball. I love football. And I love I love most sports. I'm not a fan of soccer. So if anyone's listening to this, I do not want to read your <laughs> soccer team. Um, I'm not I'm not super interested in soccer either. Right. So it's so like I I would love to. I could be on a re, uh, being on a sports radio show would be awesome. Um, being able to make somewhat of a living doing that, or you know, behind the desk commentating about in between periods about games, like that would be awesome. And I could still write about other things on the side, but not having a job that's completely different <laughs> from, from writing is like my ultimate goal. So the short answer is to make money. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, and you mentioned that it doesn't have to just be hockey, but like would in your perfect world, would hockey writing be what you did or what's the other topics that you're kind of passionate about that you could write about? Well, in the perfect world, honestly, like, I kind of wouldn't mind being involved in hockey instead of writing about it. I really enjoyed being involved with hockey. Like I, I would love to be like a GM or a scout 
you know, like I would love to have that aspect um, and then write about other things like, or like even running social media, but I don't have that like Photoshop or video editing or anything kind of skill that's marketable for social media. So not, I know that, and I just don't have time to try and learn all of that. But I, you know, I love writing about people's lives. I love writing about how they've taken something bad and turned it into something good. I love, you know, just those people that recognize that this is life and it's serious, <laughs> but there's so much good and beauty in the world. And those are the stories I love to tell, you know, because I, I it's so weird because I've had a few friends who have committed suicide and they were tough, but uh, Bobby's was really, really tough. And I, I went, I went dark <laughs> for a year. Um, but that was actually like, he committed suicide in June of 2013. And I started working with the AAA in that October. And honestly, like they just really pushed me through it with, and none of them knew that I was going through this. So like, it was amazing to me that they used so much compassion on me and didn't know that I really needed that compassion at that time. But in all of that, and I always thought it would be like the worst moment in my life and I would never recover from it. I, and I, I makes me sound bad, but my life is so much better since he, since he died. Like, it's so weird to say that, but it was a realization that I, I had to start doing things on my own. We were never going to live on the same street. We were never going to have our spouses be best friends. We were never going to interview Coach Madden. Well, I was wrong about that one. One of us got to. But I had to really focus on me and stop looking at moving back to Chicago because I was obsessed about it. I kept obsessing about it. And I actually haven't been back since his funeral in 2013. So it's like seven years. But because of that, I did things like move across the country to Oregon in a car by myself. <laughs> and I met so many people along the way, um, drove into a ditch in the National Forest in New Mexico. <laughs> I remember that picture. <laughs> so all of those things, I just like, I experienced life more. I loved life more. I did more things. I, you know, I would go to Chicago all the time. I would kick the megabus in every weekend where I would drive in on a Wednesday night and come back on Friday morning. And it was just constantly, I was there, I was there, I was with him. I was with some of my other friends or some of my family, well, people I consider family. And I was just always there. And I never experienced the rest of this country. I never had time for myself to work on my goals because I was just always there. And him dying made me be like, I can't keep going back there. Because first of all, it's too tough. There's too many memories. And so then I started going places like Buffalo and Toronto and like on whims, like I could just do that. It was no big deal because I wasn't worried about making someone mad for not going into Chicago. So I would just like have a day off from work when I was working at the grocery store and be like, well, screw it. I'm going to go to like Pittsburgh today or I'm going to go to Philly for the weekend, or I'm just going to go wherever I want. And I got to experience life in a way that I never had before. And so to be able to tell other people's stories about that, because the more I started talking about it, the more people started telling me their stories about how 
the worst moment in their life ended up being the turning point that made their life so much better. So like, that's what I love to tell the stories of. That's pretty profound. I was going to ask you also, the way I wrote this, it's kind of funny. I said, do you have a a particular storyline you'd like to cover? Obviously, aside from like a championship, because that would be the obvious, but Aside from the obvious, is there a particular storyline? I think it's cool because you've interviewed, obviously, players like Nathan Gerby with the Blue Jackets or Monsters, depending on maybe the situation at the time. But you've talked to different players, but and you kind of already alluded to this as far as being able to, you know, talk with different people like TJ Yoshi's dad. But is there potentially a storyline aside from a championship in some way, whether with the Blue Jackets or the Monsters, that you wish or maybe not wish, but you look forward to just covering or... Is it just is it just in general like the art of writing, you know, whatever comes your way? So in the sense of the blue jacket, I would love to obviously cover the bubble. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just I wanna, you know, ask the different players more than one what their daily routines are, what they're doing, and you know, kind of match up people's days. Because everyone's doing something different, but they're also doing something that's the same. I don't think that's going to happen for me because I'm not a credentialed member of the Jackets Media. And I don't know how it would work with the Monsters players that are up there because most of them aren't playing. So I would feel weird asking them about their days when I can't, like, ask them about game day. You know, how do you prepare for that knowing? I know being in the bubble is tough mentally, so I'd rather not... F with anyone's, uh, <laughs> you know, and anyone's like Zen while they're there um, by asking if I can talk to them and then asking questions that just, it wouldn't do anyone good. I don't know what kind of answers I would get. Um, but also... Maybe after the whole thing. Right, after the whole thing, definitely. Uh, sit down and talk with them about what it was like, yeah. life in the bubble. But I would love to talk to like the mom squad. <laughs> Like Amy Jones and Terry Jenner, and I don't know what Zach's mom is, and uh, and Josh Anderson's mom, and just a bunch of the moms, and just talk about what it's like to be a mom and the different things that they've had to go through because all of these moms seem super involved and super knowledgeable, and I feel like if they were open to talking to me, I would love to get all of their points of view on the game. And just what it like, just do a whole series of articles, you know, talking to Amy Jones about what it was like raising that many kids essentially on her own, a biracial family, what they had to experience. Did they have to experience anything that was uncomfortable or were they lucky that they didn't have to? I was, and how did all of this shape them as a family going forward? I would love to talk to, you know, Terry Jenner about like the farm and like what it was like growing up with having all these boys (laughs) and then she lives so close to her sisters and they're all close like all of those kind of things and I just think it would be a good series and the fact that nobody that has credentials to it has written anything like that it just blows blows my mind and maybe they don't want to talk about it I mean that's a very real possibility but I think like that's good storytelling because people will read articles about the players and people kind of beat storylines to death like Everyone wants to write an underdog story about Nathan Gerby. Okay, I get it. People have been writing stories about how short he is since he was like 15. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) That's why I wrote that one about his mindset. 
because his mindset is so strong yeah. and, and we should be finding those kind of stories. Now, from the monster standpoint, honestly, I would just love to write stories about any of them. They have so many different storylines, you know, like from Zach Dalby and like this, he had so many life changes in a short amount of time from, it was like his mom died and then he, his he got married. He had a kid. Uh, his best friend died the day of the game. Damn. And then he came and he played and he won the game winner with the game winner. I mean, that man's resolve is so incredible. I don't know how he does it. Like, I would love to write something about him and who he is because he's been through it. He's just still trucking away. And the, the thing with the AHL that's tough for me is I can only be there on game day and sometimes at practice a lot of the guys don't know me um it's hard to get to know me because I'm not around often so I don't know much about them in the sense of storylines I'd like to cover although I would love to get into the heart and soul of Brett Gallant because he is not a he fights yes but people forget what a great fourth line winger he is he is such a good fourth liner I think people forget that, you know, a fourth liner isn't just where a quote unquote, like bad player or dumpster fire player or a fighter goes. The fourth line is there. A good solid fourth line helps line changes and gives the first line a break that they need. If the fourth line falls on the job, they're sitting like the whole game then. So you're just running with three lines. And Brett Gallant is really good at face-offs. And not just in the center, but also on the flanks. So that is very important for the fourth line. Because it's likely that you're not going to have your best face-off taker or flanker. I don't know if that's even the right, <laughs> the right word. You're not going to have them on the fourth line. Usually. So when you have a guy who is willing to point out to the defense and to the, the center and the other winger, like, hey, I'm going to do this, watch what this guy does, and then they're going to win it almost every time when Brett Gallant's either on the flank or taking the draw. Almost every time. He is just that good. And people are like, oh, he has hard hits. And he, like, he fights people when he needs to. Well, that's because he needs to. He's not going out causing a ruckus because he wants to. When it gets to the point where Brett Gallant's stepping in, it's because you're being a douchebag. And it's just time for you to stop. <laughs> so I would love to just pick Brett Gallant's mind about the game. What he finds important. What he does to prepare. What he does in the offseason. Where his passion lies and where it came from. Because that's a story that, like, no one's told. That reminded me exactly of the Manny Maholtra article from earlier today because I was looking at that uh, about how he could potentially be a next head coach in the NHL. And uh, But the the part you mentioned about Brett Gallant being great on the fourth line was just like in that article, they mentioned how Ken Hitchcock kind of went to Maholtra back in the day with Columbus and was like, hey, look, you can have a, a good career, but you could also be this, like I need this on the third line or whatever. And he became like this, uh, not necessarily nitty gritty, but 
he just kind of got my more dialed in and uh, became more of a leader in that perspective in certain aspects. And he started to really appreciate the details of things, being able to talk to players on the bench about the game. And Hitchcock went into the why, not just do this because, but here's why. So it's kind of interesting because, like you said, I think a lot of people just assume like, oh, uh, put the worst guy on the fourth line, but there's a reason they're on the fourth line. They're still important. And, you know, they may not be the flashiest guy, but they're still workers. They still have a purpose in that game, right. in that game plan. It's like when people want to take Alexander Wenberg off the first or second and shove him on the fourth. And I'm like, he is going to screw everything up on the fourth. If you are a center who is supposed to score and that is your main job, and you're on the first line and you're not producing, putting you on the fourth line hurts everybody, everyone. Because when you're on the, when you're a fourth line center, scoring is nice. <laughs> but like I said, as I've seen through the years, the fourth line is really there to help cycle and sometimes be like the sneak attack. But you're not always out there trying to score. You're like allowing... You're playing, it's essentially like having more defense. I don't know how to explain it. So essentially having like more defense on the ice to prevent a goal from happening while like your quote unquote, what people consider the best are sitting, but also they do, they are capable of scoring. And I think that is where teams in the NHL struggle and why fans will think that someone like Manny Malhotra is not good. Um, is because they want Flash, they want Sonny Milano, they want someone to score a goal all the time when the basics and the root of hockey is not always scoring a goal. I mean, scoring a goal. <laughs> but it's not like, it's so weird to me when games get up to like six goals. I don't, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. I like the back and forth between the teams. I like watching them away from the puck. I love someone trying to like, orchestrate a play from the D zone and then getting into the O zone and being able to execute it properly. But like the guy in the D zone who's setting it up is already off the ice when the goal scores. So he gets zero credit and people think he's bad. And it's like, no, if you paid attention, he set up this amazing play in the D zone and he had to get off because he's, say, a fourth liner, and he needs to get off. So the fourth line also helps get the plays in mo motion. Um, I've noticed, at least at the AHL level, a lot of fourth liners are very knowledgeable about the basics and the fundamentals of the game. Um, and I don't think enough people give the fourth line credit. I think it gets, it's pretty underrated. Uh, thinking about, like, in baseball, for instance, when a lot of people say, oh, just throw this struggling starting pitcher into the bullpen, like, well, no, the bullpen has a purpose, too. You might mess up the pitcher's psyche by throwing him in the bullpen. It's a different mentality, different mindset. Physically, he might not be right because all of a sudden he's going from just trying to go five innings or six innings to I need you to get two outs in this specific inning. It's a whole thing. But also, just like Manny Maholtra, whether he's the next head coach, I know he's an assistant right now, but he kind of, I think showed a lot of qualities of being a coach when he was still a player. And it's kind of like a baseball, the backup catcher or a catcher in general who can, a lot of them become managers because they see the game a different way. And a lot of them too might not have the greatest overall playing career, but they still know the game well. They have a ton of skills 
especially from that mental capacity that people may not necessarily think about. Like you said, they all went flash. Yeah. We want to hit 50 home runs, see 50 home runs every day. That's not going to happen or see 50 goals. Yeah. No, yeah. That, I'm not, yeah, like I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> I mean, a good example, though, is uh, Jared Bowl. Yeah. You know, people were so like back and forth around him, but he's a really good coach and he gets the game. Like he gets it. It's so great. Even guys like George Peros and, and Jody Shelley were Ivy Leaguers and they were fighters. But, you know, Jody Shelley's had this amazing, you know, post-playing career from the broadcasting perspective. And, I mean, yeah, it's so easy to just gloss over a player and say, oh, he's a fighter. But, you know, no matter what your skill is at the NHL, you're in the NHL. I mean, you have skill in some way. You know the game. You can, you know... X's and O's, all that. It's so easy to blot to just kind of blase over it, but then it's like, no, these guys really do know what they're talking about and how to, you know, whether it's coach or whether it's teach, you know. So it's really cool. There are some players who I'm just like, their contract pigeonholds them into not being able to sit down and get proper development because there are yeah. players. I mean. Let's talk about Toronto. Like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner could have really benefited from going down to the Marlies and getting a little bit of some extra development um, without having to worry about being picked up on waivers or anything like that. Actually, I don't think they would be on waivers, but you know what I mean? They, without having to worry about anything. Um, sometimes people need just a little bit of a, a gut check, see things from a different point of view. If you're running the same system and you send someone down, it shouldn't be that big of an issue to be able to get through that player. And if you can't, then you have to trade them. But so many of these contracts, they're just like, they're just pigeonholes. Like you can't do anything with them. And so some players just stay on teams forever. And you're like, why are you here? You don't fit on this team. Like the Jackets got lucky with being able to have Milano go up and down because he didn't fit here. He did not fit in the system. They tried with him. He did work on his away from the game, away from the puck game, but it wasn't what they needed because it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Like, and he just didn't fit. And so it took them forever, though, to trade him because just for whatever reasons, I don't actually know. But they got lucky with that. But there's other players who are on the roster who I think could benefit from being sent down for a game or two. I'm not going to say names, but <laughs> I don't need people coming into my mentions on Twitter telling me how wrong I am. <laughs> so I know, I know, I know another storyline that you would have liked to have covered would have been that Blue Jackets Penguins game right before the league shut down for the coronavirus because that was going to be no fans in the building. It was going to be like the bubble now as far as no one there except for the players and coaching staff and essential, basically. Yeah, that would have been interesting. I think it's, you know, talking about the bubble, I think it's really cool how it's playing out. First of all, I really like, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's nothing like fans in the building, but um, the NHL has pulled this off so great and, I like how they have all these – I like the setup. I like the screens. I like how even though one team is the home team, they show, like, the specifics of the, you know, the in the Blue Jackets case, the cannon, and just stuff that's Blue Jackets related on the, on the, on the monitors and screens. Um, they still have both goal horns. Um, you know, I like how they're pulling it off. I also really – you know, I think it's cool how they're playing it off. It sounds like a normal game, honestly, to me. I – you know, fake crowd or not, you know, you, you hear some chatter, but I think in baseball, it's been a little bit 
worse. Not not worse. I don't mind the baseball chatter as, as far as an F-bomb. You can hear everything in baseball. Right. Like when David Ross was like, I know you're doing your job. I, I know love you're that. doing your job. Yeah. But this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. I love that. I love but in terms of hockey, trying not to have... Now, I think they might have a delay. I think they might have a delay in hockey, but... It's been so seamless to me. It's and also I think it's really impressive how they've been able to pull this off in terms of uh, broadcasters not even necessarily being there. I know some are, but you almost can't even tell the difference, or you can't unless you know if you saw them not physically there. Uh, like Eddie O is, not, I think he's been in Connecticut with NBC. He's not there, but you wouldn't know that when you're just listening. It yeah. Sounds seamless, and so I feel like going forward, I wouldn't be surprised if you know they have some broadcasters in a remote studio somewhere while there's a save on budget or whatever i would think come next season there are some teams that might do that or like say fox sports ohio do it to save the money because there's not money coming in um as much money as they have i i am very impressed with a lot of the stuff with the bubble it's so crazy um i haven't even really noticed that there wasn't a crowd mostly because when I'm watching the game, I'm so honed in on what's happening. So even when I'm at Monsters games, I'm so honed in that unless something like a really weird cheer or someone screaming like bloody murder or something really funny, I'm not going to catch it. Like not at all because my focus yeah. is on the ice. But I can't imagine <laughs> having to cover the game all the time from television because you don't see the whole ice. You don't see everything. And I think... Um, as a play-by-play announcer, it's a little bit easier because you're just going off what's on the screen. And a lot of these guys probably practiced when they were younger or other times going off of like their own television. But as a writer trying to do analysis of how the game shook out, that's how the fourth line gets unnoticed. Because that's how certain players get unnoticed because mm-hmm. they hang in the corners, they hang back, and they don't end up on the television screen. But when you're there and you have a full view of the ice, you can see out of your peripherals what's going on, say, like, um, on the left side as opposed to the right side. So that would be that is a challenge as a writer that I am not jealous of. (laughs) Yeah. Now, a final question. I have mine, but do you have a particular... I think you kind of, you might, because you kind of alluded to this in a sense, but do you have a particular guest in mind that you would love to talk to or interview one day? Oh gosh, there's so many. (laughs) Um, I mean, for me, it was like, I had to re-come up with this because coach John Madden was like, he was the one my whole life. Like, that was the one I always wanted to. And it just like, it happened. In hockey, honestly, like, there's not too many that I would really want to, it's like an ultimate goal. I mean, yes, I would love to talk to to any of those moms that I said earlier, (laughs) for sure. Outside of the jackets, though, and I'm going to get booed and I don't even care. I want to get the nitty gritty of who Sidney Crosby really is. I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) No, but you know what? He's a Hall of of Famer. Like, yeah, it's not really a bad answer. (laughs) But it's like, it's not for the whole, like, I want to. I know. 
you know, just because he's Sidney Crosby, because for years I was like, Sidney Crosby's overrated. He's with the Penguins, boo. Then he had a 100-point season, and I was like, well, I guess he's not overrated. <laughs> I guess he's fine. Um, but also Jonathan Taze, I want to sit down with him and talk to him about the work he's done with the NHLPA during all of this with the bubble. Because as my understanding is that he is like, people are like, oh, he's so tired and he's must be getting close to retirement while he's in the bubble. It's under my, it's my understanding that he is constantly in contact with the NHLPA, trying to make things better, listening to what the guys want in different hotels from both like the East and the West. And I would just love to have like the real raw moment with Taser, um, but also to talk about some of the things that they've been through as a team with like Steve Montador and Clint Rife and uh, really get into that because there aren't, you know, people write about him, but I don't think they write with him. Um, there's a difference when you're a writer and you become the mouthpiece for the, the athlete when you are helping them uh, amplify their voice. And I think a lot of people write what they want to write about Taze, not so much what he wants them to write about, just based on like things that he wants to talk about, but he's not sure if he should talk about them, or maybe people aren't picking up cues or, or whatnot, because I think there's so much to Taze that we don't know. Just like with... Oh, yeah. Right. So like, for example, um, when I interviewed Gerby... It was supposed to just be about like, well, PD wanted it to be about the underdog because it was underdog week when I interviewed him. And I was like, I'm so tired of that storyline, but you're a site manager. Let's do it. And then I was like, how about, and then I was like, how about instead I write about what it was like to go back and forth because he had the injury. So it's kind of about the underdog, but it's not. And then he kept saying mindset, mindfulness, being in the right mindset and I was like he does not want to talk about this let's go where he's going let's do this sometimes you have to abandon whatever you planned on doing with a player like if a player is guiding you somewhere you have to go with it because how many times do we beg for some sort of creativity and uniqueness out of players and don't get it so if the opportunity's there you just got to go with it right <laughs> yeah definitely so Yes. So, one more question. So, what prompted you to delete the dating apps? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I literally wrote that, but I wasn't seriously going to ask that. I, uh, I I saw your tweets, but I was totally kidding. You know what? No, let's keep it in. No, let's keep it in. Let's talk about this, okay? We have a platform. I don't care. Let's fucking do it. I, <laughs> I deleted the dating apps. Because it's such a face-to-face -face person. I am such a like, let's do this stuff on Zoom. Let's talk to each other. Let's get to know each other. Like, I love creating relationships with people, whether it's friendships or um, just people I know. Like, I love all the fans at the Monsters. I've gotten to know a lot of them. I don't consider all of them my friends, but they hold a special place in my heart, okay? On dating apps, you don't get any of that. It's all, hey, what's up? 
or then or then they're like hey you're cute and I'm like cool thanks so how's your day going like blah 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 and they're like oh it's fine cutie cute 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 and I'm like oh my god I don't have time for this <laughs> um, and I just get so tired of it I'm a busy girl like I'm super busy, and if I like someone, I'm going to make time for them, and I'm going to talk to them, but if they blow up my phone every five seconds, I get angry, but if they don't talk to me enough, I also get angry, <laughs> so there's like this, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's like this balance, because I like my alone time, and I just don't feel like you can create proper relationships all the time, for me specifically, on dating apps, um, because it's just like, I, I want to get to know people, but everyone knows I'm there to try and date someone. And so they're trying to date me instead of trying to get to know me. So sometimes it's not even genuine. Hmm. The amount of guys that would be like, look at my profile and be like, oh, so you write about sports? I love Cleveland sports so much. And I'd be like, yeah, I write about the monsters. And they're like, wait, who are the monsters? And I'm like, why is this happening? Um, or I'd start talking to them about hockey and they'd be like, yeah, hockey's a stupid sport. And I'm like, I can't. Or they would lie and say that they like hockey a lot. And then I would, you know, go hang out with them and they'd be like, oh yeah, I was just lying to you. And I was like, I can't do this. And so no joke. I think that Twitter is a better dating app <laughs> than any of the other apps because at least you start to get to know someone. You can scroll through their profile and you can be like, they're interesting. Let's follow them. And like, I, I know so many people who have like found the loves of their life on Twitter from like happy Twitter to Catholic Twitter to like all of these different sects of Twitter. They keep finding each other on social media. And I think it's because you kind of already know what you're getting into before you get into it. And so it doesn't feel like a waste of time. But if I feel like something's a waste of time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to want to do it anymore. And I'm just so tired. I am a busy lady. I have things I want to do. I have people I want to see. If I have to drive like a million hours to go see someone I like, I'm going to do it because I like them and I want to spend time with them. I am not going to drive a whole 10 minutes to go sit with someone who's just going to be like, Hey, sup? <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> You know, talking about Twitter, I like to poke the bear, as you know. And so talking about the monsters, I think I tweeted something like, who are the monsters? And people who know me know when I'm being serious or sarcastic. So it's funny when people don't pick up on that. It's like, God. Yeah, you said that and someone DM'd me and they're like, who is this idiot? Doesn't he write with you? And I'm like, yes, you're the idiot. Wait, really? Who was it? No, no, I'm not telling you. I'm not doxing someone. Uh, you, you, <laughs> that's what's funny. I mean, obviously, I know who the Monstars are. I mean, come on, the right. Monstars from Space Jam. <laughs> they got defeated by freaking Michael Jordan. <laughs> they were essentially the Pistons of Looney yeah. Tunes. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, not even because even the Looney Tunes finally lo- they didn't even win a championship. Or the Looney Tunes, the Monstars never even won a championship. Nope. Yeah, oh my gosh, it was so magical in Cleveland in 2016. That was actually one of like really hard years of my life because our family, we had um, this Uncle Jimmy and he had Down syndrome and he had been alive for like 65 years and he was supposed to die when he was in his 20s. 
And of course, knowing my family, he was like, middle finger to all of you. I'm living forever. Um, But he passed away that September. And it was the best freaking year ever. Like, he was so amazing. And we took all of his love and his joy. And we just, like, used it to celebrate everything. So, like, uh, he was alive when the Monsters won. He was alive when the Cavs won. And we all celebrated. We had this huge celebration for him after... um, after he died and like some people went shrinking down Clifton Boulevard in Lakewood. Like we apologize. <laughs> you want to to see that in 2016. It was not me, but, <laughs> um, and my family's super close. And so like, then the, the world series came and it was so freaking hard because I grew up, you know, a Cubs fan and Indians fan. And that was one of the things on Bobby's mind list too, was to watch the Cubs win a world series. And also to watch the Indians play in the World Series. Both were happening. <laughs> I had high every day. I had to take medicine. It was so bad. And when the Cubs won, I was surrounded by everyone in Cleveland. I was surrounded by my family. And I was very, like, excited but not excited because I was like, yay, the Cubs. Oh, my God, the Indians. <laughs> 2016 was, like, the best year Ever, though it was so great oh I want to go back yeah 2016 was fun yeah 2020 is actually really fun and good but also very dark and twisty I don't know where 2020 is going <laughs> personally 2020 couldn't be better but of course everything outwardly is like bleh. <laughs> I know I, I feel like though there is sort of this sort of positive uh progression since March at least well, Elaine Shercliffe, thanks for coming on and sharing the chronicles of Elaine Shercliffe, peeling behind the curtain of Elaine between hockey and all kinds of stuff. I also just want to mention to everyone out there, feel free to subscribe to the Cutting to the Chase podcast across Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Play. I love chatting with interesting people like Elaine here, so give me your feedback. I will be sure to rate you a big fat zero stars. I'm just kidding. All the stars, all of them. Well, if you give it zero, that that reflects on you too, since you're on this pod. <laughs> Stop being so logical and rational.